I don't know if you start your day in the same way where you're looking for your cell phone and you wake up and where did my ear pods go from the night before? Is my phone in my bed or did I set it beside my bed because I fell asleep, asleep watching that Netflix series that I've been trying to binge so now I'm back on my phone and then I start on social media and we're going into a death spiral looking at what's going on. I can't believe they posted that. There's what happening in Ukraine now. The economy is on an edge. I am being bombarded with information as we speak, looking at work emails. Why am I looking at this at 6.17 a.m.? I've already had 17 thoughts, and it's already been three minutes of being awake. I can hear one of my kids stirring over there. There's new news about that thing going on. Now, I'm not going to be on Instagram anymore, so let me just try Facebook this morning. People are still on Facebook? I never knew my aunt was still posting these things. You're inside of it. Then you're like, okay, that's way too much, so let me get in the shower, but let's keep the Netflix show going because I did not finish binging it last night. And then you get in your car, and depending who you are, I got some libs in the room, so NPR is always on for you. You know who you are. I heard some laughters over here. There's some guilt there. That's great. Others of you got the podcast on now that you're listening to immediately, and then you get to work, and there's a radio on, that's going, or you work from home, and then you press mute on whatever's going on at work because you're also looking at your app. How many of you have 100 apps up at once on your phone? Confession is okay. <laughs> and then you come home, and it just keeps going, and the distractions are there all day long, and you're like, man, I'm so worn out, and I'm so tired, and then you go to bed, and the death spiral continues, and you're on social media, and it won't stop, and that's just what it means to be human sometimes in 2023 that we have so many external distractions and noises and we're bombarded from the moment that we wake up until the moment that we got to bed. And I didn't even bring up that time that you actually fell asleep early and then you woke up at 2 a.m. and instead of just being with yourself, you got right back on that device for two hours because you couldn't sleep. And it's just always there, the distraction and the noise. And part of the way of following Jesus is how do we move from distraction and how do we move towards clarity? And so if we're going to talk about that, we've got to talk about some things. We can talk about external noise, and if we can do that, then we can talk about Lent. And if we can talk about Lent, then, you know, the Jesus guy. And if we can talk about Jesus, then we can talk about follow me. And if we can understand what it means to follow me, then we've got to keep spending time in wilderness if we can spend some time in wilderness, then I think that we get to the bigger realities of life, like clarity and identity and calling. And if we can do that, then we need to build in some rhythms. And if we can get there, then maybe we'll finally get to the internal noise. And then, of course, you know, hoarders. <laughs> so let's do this on a Sunday morning. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, and you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once, but by the way, what a transition. Okay, just, I just want you to be like ready for this. Like huge spiritual moment of enlightening and then the transition. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. No, thank you, right? <laughs> I'm just having my spa day over here, and now I am not prepared for what is next for me. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. Again, no thank you. Yeah. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Talk about a good time. 
I grew up in a world of church where we didn't do Lent. It just wasn't a thing. That's just not, it's not good or bad. It just wasn't a thing. How we did Easter is that we passed over any of the difficult stuff. We took a first-class flight, and we just landed in Resurrection Sunday, my friends, right? <laughs> Pastels, big music, everything was good. Children were singing. We do not need suffering. We do not need to analyze that difficult stuff. And the way of the cross, no thank you, my friends. <laughs> and here's the deal. I'm not mocking it. That's just real. That's how I want to live my life most of the time. I am not looking to sign up for difficulty. I am not looking to sign up for hardship. And the truth of Lent, go Google Lent, by the way, to be depressed. It is literally a season of penitence and figuring it out and asking questions in the way of the cross and letting go and reduction in your life. And the truth is, I don't always want that. I want to just fly over all of the difficulty and land into resurrection. That sounds better. I want that for my physical health. I want abs. I do not want to work out or eat healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just be honest with each other this morning of what we want, right? I want mental and emotional health. I am tired of paying my therapist's mortgage. <laughs> I want intimacy and connection and to be known. Vulnerability scares the shit out of me at this point in my life. I want all of the good over here, but I don't always want to go through the process. I want it to be a simple eight-minute TED Talk, and after I listen to it, my life has changed and transformed, and there we go. And yet the way of Jesus is calling me into the difficult. It calls me into the wilderness. That when I know my identity, that when I understand who I am, I spend time in solitary, intentional, thoughtful reflection. And that is terrifying and hard to do because I'm distracted all of the time. And so Jesus says these words that haunt me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Those are words that I want. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is not a tweet that is just dropped in the middle of a gospel. The story is to be read all the way through. That Jesus begins with his baptism and the realization of who he is and who God is, that God is good. And because God is good, then we are good. And that is the reality that we live as human beings. But you can't just hear those words. It just doesn't happen through osmosis. So the first thing that Jesus does is Jesus goes into the wilderness. This is the metaphor for Lent for our lives. That there are seasons in our life in which we must go and reflect and be reminded of the core truths of what it means to be human. That work, however you get there, the thing I'm not going to do is prescribe that to you, must be done. You cannot fly over it. You cannot just land on Resurrection Sunday. You must spend time in the wilderness and in solitary places to be reminded of the goodness of who you are. But to get there sometimes will be a chore. And it will be a difficult process. And after Jesus does that, he goes out into the world and he doesn't say these words, believe in me so that one day you will not go to hell and that you will be with me in heaven. Never says any words like that. Jesus says, now that I've been reminded of who I am through my baptism, and now that I've spent time in the wilderness, in the wilderness, in solitude, 
Now I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to tell people, follow me. Follow me if you want to try on this life. Tell me if your life of distraction is working out for you. If your life of distraction is not working out for you and you find yourself more weary and burdened, then come try and follow this path. Jesus will never coerce you and never command you into that. Isn't that a different kind of God than we grew up with? Not a God of coercion or commands. Jesus never commands anything except this. I command you to love each other as I've loved you. That's not that crazy. And yet it takes a lifetime to figure out. The rest of the time Jesus says this. I'm going to work through invitation and example. So if I know what you need in your life is to be reminded of the truths of who you are, Jesus is saying. And if life for Jesus is time in the wilderness, then life for us will be time in the wilderness. And Jesus doesn't guilt you over that. Jesus doesn't coerce you into that. Jesus says, if you want to follow my way of life, if you want to get nine chapters later where I say words to you like, all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. If you want that, if you just want to try that out, then you will have to come follow me. It's a different way of understanding this Jesus thing. Because the way that most of us grew up with this Jesus thing is just believe in the thing. And the story that we were believing in is a lot like we believed in Lent. That I don't actually want any of the problems. What I want is a belief where I get over all of this and I just show up in heaven one day in all of my glory. Or many of us grew up in an escapism world where we don't want any troubles. We're just going to get elevated up, transported out, Star Trek, raptured out of this place because the world is bad. And Jesus is saying, that is not in my Gospels. My Gospels is this, come and follow me if you want a different life. You don't have to believe that, but give it a shot. Because Jesus is simply always hedging the bet in a practical way for you. Is your life working for you? And if your life is not working for you, then come try and follow me. Every season of my life, I double down on this Jesus way of following. For me, Jesus is wildly universal. That the principles of Christ are embedded into the universe. But I don't think that we can escape them. I don't think that we live in a world where we can just simply be distracted by everything. Because most of the time, the luxury that I have as a pastor is I get coffees and beers with lots and lots and lots of you. And I hear the same themes come up because I think it's just themes of our culture. So many of us are just worn out. So many of us just feel burdened. So many of us just feel like it's just too much. It's just overly complicated. I don't have answers for all of it. I hate my cell phone and I love my cell phone. And I think as I see all of the heads nodding there, it's just what it means to be human. And Jesus is inviting us into another way of following him and asking us if we're interested. Jesus, the thing that I think is interesting about the wilderness for Jesus, and then this is true of our lives, and let me pause here a second. I love thinking about the way of Jesus and how I get to teach it to my children, because for me, it's always this opportunity of like, how do I make this thing more simple? And I think we just made Jesus overly complicated. Jesus at the simplest version is simply this, shows you the best of who God is and shows you the best of what you can be. That's it. Jesus never shows you a God who's angry at you or mad at you or who's playing games with your life. That's a Jesus I'm interested in. Shows me the best of who God is. Jesus shows me a way of being human that says, man, this can really work for you. Nowhere in there does it say easy, by the way. That's like not one of the words that's offered. 
No problems ahead. Now, it's literally a story about a cross and betrayal and pain and death and suffering and all of those things. And then it's like resurrection, my friends, because that is the human way of things. And we learn and we grow so much in the wilderness. None of us would want to choose it, but that's just it. So Jesus shows us the best of who God is and the best of what it means to be human. And so what Jesus is showing us in the wilderness is that Jesus is reminded of who God is and reminded of what it means to be human. Jesus gets clarity in the wilderness is the point. And when we have clarity in our lives, then we get clarity for our identity and clarity for our calling. Let me try using other words that don't sound so spiritual for you. I've used this story in here a million times, and I'll use it again about Rabbi Akiva, who was traveling 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem in the fog. And one night, he took the wrong turn, and he comes to the Roman barracks. And when he gets to the Roman barracks, the guards shout out to him, who are you and where are you going? And Rabbi Akiva says to them, what did you say to me? The guards say again, who are you and where are you going? And Rabbi Akiva says, how much do they pay you to work here? And the guard tells them the amount of money. And Rabbi Akiva says, I will pay you twice as much money to come to my house every morning and ask me the same questions because it's always just about who are you your identity you will spend your whole life growing in your identity and then you will spend your whole life in your calling where are you going and we can spend our lives distracted from who we are we can spend our lives distracted from where we're going but Jesus is saying I want you to follow me because I think when you follow me and you take on my way of life I think you'll have more clarity about who you are and where you're going. And I think you'll have more clarity about who this God actually is. What an interesting invitation for us. And for me, what I love about Jesus is that Jesus just doesn't do the 40-day retreat. Jesus builds this into the rhythms of his ministry. So what we see in Jesus' ministry again and again, even in chapter 1 in Mark, which I know you're all going to read later, thank you very much, you're good students of the Bible, is that Jesus will go have the baptism, go have the wilderness, and then immediately Jesus gets into a busy life. What I love about Jesus' life is it's not bullshit. Jesus is like literally doing things that we're doing. He gets out of the retreat. How many of you have been to like a retreat? You had that moment, it was so beautiful, your life has changed, and you get home and there's bills still there. <laughs> All of the things that you were trying to leave, you're like, oh my God, it's still here, right? And that's Jesus. He gets out of this time with God and his calling and his identity are all being reminded to him. And he gets out and Peter's like, man, my mother-in-law is sick. Come and take care of her, right? They, all the crowds are coming to Jesus saying, you're healing everybody. I want a little piece of you. And then again and again and again in the Gospels, we see Jesus modeling invitation and example for us. And it says, oh, Jesus went to a solitary place. Oh, and then Jesus went to a solitary place. Oh, and then Jesus went to a solitary place. Jesus is saying, yeah, you can do the retreat center all of you want, but if you don't build rhythms in your life that work for you, you're not going to be able to maintain these things. I have tried a lot of fad diets, right? I've done like broccoli, air, and water before to like try to lose weight. Weirdly enough, does not sustainable, right? You're like, you're like I'm going to do this thing for three weeks, and you're like, it's been 18 minutes, to be honest, and I don't know if I can do this anymore. Because it's not healthy, that's why. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, sometimes you need to do some bigger things to remind yourself of what's going on, but you need to build in other aspects of your life that give you rhythms that remind you of who you are and who God is. I think I've pastored New Abbey for such a long time that sometimes I used to mock the things like, um, what was quiet time, stuff like that. And now at this point in my life, I'm like, what am I mocking? A time in your life where you set aside 30 minutes a day to be intentional about the reminders of who you are? I'm so sorry that I was so enlightened that I didn't need that anymore. 
I'm so sorry that my life was so perfectly working for me that I, didn't, that I had the opportunity now to mock evangelicalism. <laughs> Seriously, grow up, Corey. Sometimes we think we're so smart over here. Are we? Maybe there's still really good stuff out there that we don't have to throw away. Maybe we need spaces in our life, intentional spaces in our life, where we're not distracted and we say, oh yeah, that is who God is. That is who I am. And I'll fill it with everything else. But maybe I need spaces where I'm like, oh my God, the scriptures have been around for thousands of years for a reason. And as I grow and as I mature, I realize, oh, the scriptures are okay with me debating them. Even the scriptures do that. Even Jesus does that. Oh, maybe I just need to try these rhythms on in a different way. I don't know what the thing is for you. I'm not here to prescribe that. What I'm saying is we live in a world filled with external distractions. And we are in need of reminders and clarity of our identity and our calling. And I know that I'll only speak for my life because sometimes my life is not working out for me. And when my life is not working out for me, then I remind myself of Jesus' words, I am weary and I am burdened and I need rest for my soul. And I cannot do that on my own. Here's the terrifying thing. When you take away the external noises and when you find that place of solitary or wilderness and you spend time however you're gonna spend time, here's what I tricked you into. Now you got to deal with the internal voices. Those are way worse. The external voices are great because they just keep me distracted from all of the stuff that's going on inside. And when i got to take an internal inventory of what's going on inside, I remind myself, Netflix sounds way better right now, <laughs> to be honest. Because now i got to take a look at all the stuff that's going on inside. And if I don't take a look at all the stuff that's going on inside, it will leak in my life. It has leaked in my life. That's just what it means to grow up. And so part of what Jesus is inviting us into is keep coming back and slowly take an inventory and slowly do the work that's in your life. Because sometimes when we get inside of our own hearts and our own minds, we're like, I am a hoarder in here. I've been collecting all of this. Oh my God, childhood trauma. Oh, I am never going to a family holiday again. That is just too crazy. Fourth grade, those mother, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not opening that thing. I know what's in there. It's just again and again and again a story of my life of all of the things that I've been hoarding, and I cannot avoid it. It will come out at some point, and the weird thing is it will probably come out when you don't want it to. Because there's a time where you're just fragile. There's a time when you're just weak. There's a time when you don't have it together and the people that you love the most are around you in those moments and you hurt them with all of the shit that you've been hoarding. Man, that's a little too real for a Sunday morning, but <laughs> I've had some time to think about things. And I think the reality is that I want to create a life that honors the internal inventory. I want to create a life that says, I'm actually not scared of all of this stuff. Because I want a life that I live out my identity and my calling. I want a life for me in which I follow Jesus. That's why I'm here. At some level, wherever you're at on a spectrum of deconstruction or reconstruction or whatever the fancy words that you want to use in your life, 
You're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning because there's part of you that wants to follow this way of Jesus too. And I find that interesting. So if we're all sitting here, and if we're all shaking our heads about the distractions that we have in our lives, and if we're all agreeing to some things, then maybe we get to do this work together. And that's the part that I love about Lent. It's not just some individual practice. It's the incredible vulnerability to be honest with other people and say, I'm going to go to the work of getting clarity on my identity and calling. And I'm going to go do the work of getting clarity on my identity and calling, not just for me. I'm going to do it for you, too. But I would ask the same thing. Would you do the work? Would we do the work together? That's the joy of a church. That's the joy of what Jesus invites us into. I think I realize all of the time that sometimes when we get clarity on our identity and calling, so much of us put way too much pressure on ourselves. Not everyone here is going to be MLK Jr. Not all of us here are going to have days named after us because we tackled systemic racial injustice in the world. But you might do it in your family. You might do it in your kid's second grade classroom. You might do it in that little cubicle at work with Anne. We all know Anne. <laughs> you all have an Anne in your life. And maybe that's what Jesus is asking of us, to be gracious to ourselves, to get clear, and to say, yeah, we're going to keep doing the work with one another. That's all that Lent is for us. It's an invitation and it's an example set by Jesus to keep finding a life that may actually work for us. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. If you find those same three or four people around you, how can you practice finding clarity? Enjoy.